Welcome to the 66th episode of Rank and Review, and I'd like to personally thank everybody who fought through the bloody works of William Shakespeare last episode, and uh, if anybody thought that was a little bit too intellectual, well, this week we're doing Action Bloodlust, and this is a special international podcast because I'm interviewing my friend Chris from Perth, Australia, so we've got all international with Rank and Review, which is exciting. A lot of people aren't so big on the horror movies, but everybody seems to love action movies, and I think this is a question I'm going to pose to Chris. Why is it that horror movies, you know, are kind of abhorrent because they're so violent and icky, and yet action movies, for instance, the six we're talking about this week, this collection probably has a higher body count than anything we've done since the horrors of war. My question is, are action movies, specifically ones that run on an engine of violence like this, are they horror movies, if we're real? You can agree or disagree, but I do appreciate you listening. Uh, if you'd like to send feedback to your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, you can do so at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Please seek out the show on iTunes, seek it out on Facebook, and most importantly, tell that other movie freak in your life that there's this podcast called Rank and Review, and it's waiting for them. Enough of this preamble. Let's get into it. Welcome to episode 66 of Rank and Review. Well, uh, thanks to global warming, actually right now, considering it's the 7th of February, it looks like spring in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. There's rivers oh. of water running down the street and patches <laughs> of grass starting to show up. There's barely any snow on the roof of my house. Like, really, I mean, it's nice, but contextually kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Apocalypse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brought to you by the end of the world. What's it like in, what's it like in Perth, Australia? It is currently 39 degrees. Good God. Yeah, I'm, right now it's warm for us at a balmy like minus nine. But for <laughs> February 7th in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, that is amazing. So yeah. I'm talking to my friend Chris Tomic, all the way from <laughs> Perth, Australia. And uh, It's uh, Tomic, Larry. Is it Tomic? Have I yeah. been saying your name wrong this whole time? Everyone, uh, everyone does, don't worry. Tomic. 
Thomas, yeah. No one's ever got it right first time. Well, we're talking, <laughs> I'm talking right now to my friend Chris Thomas, all the way from Perth, Australia. He is literally on the other side of the world as we conduct this interview. Um, and uh, he's a fan of the show, uh, and I feel like there's an element of fate that has led us together here, Chris. <laughs> as I'm slowly building an audience for this podcast, I really like the idea that there's people, you know, in every corner that slowly are finding their way to it. So this is kind of a special treat for me, going all international. <laughs> um, well, so, thank you very much, Larry. It's good to uh, good to be here talking to you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have told my, my three other friends about your podcast, so we'll, <laughs> we'll very slowly grow your audience. <laughs> the numbers are growing. You can be the in charge of the Rankin Review Fan Club, uh, Australia Division, as far as I'm concerned. You're the head of the spear. Okay. Excellent. Good to know. So, I will get a t-shirt made. Perfect. <laughs> so of the almost 200 options for proposed episodes that we had out there, that uh, we were talking about, you landed on Action Bloodlust. Yes, I did. I thought it would be a nice, uh, a nice one for me to do. I like. I thought, oh, these are nice, fun, easy movies. And then I realised as I was watching them, how am I meant to rank and understand you know, <laughs> to discuss these incredibly silly films? But uh, a, they were all fun. I, I had fun watching them. Well, I'm glad to hear it. This episode, hilariously, is going to be coming off of... Uh, episode 65 was called The Bloody Works of William Shakespeare, <laughs> where we did six adaptations of, uh, of Bill Shakespeare. And, uh, you know, it's quite intelligent and intellectual, and I'm going to try and bring it down a few notches for, <laughs> for this episode. But, yeah, it is indeed the uh, opposite ends of the spectrum here. Yeah. See, there's no, you know, we'll do every movie on Rank and Review eventually, I guess. There's nothing <laughs> nothing off the table. Um, but I would submit to you, I mean, are you, you, you like horror movies as a rule? Or is this like a way to uh, not tackle the horror franchise? Or it, it, uh, I'm, I'm okay. It's not like, I'd say so-so with horror movies. I, I kind of enjoy like a clever one. But uh, slashes for me, I don't really, uh, in, you know, I don't get get it really. It's not why why people watch them? Yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I will say this: I think that the next episode beyond this one that would have the same body count as this would possibly be when Paxton and I did the horrors of war, <laughs> in which we were talking about great historical events of violence and uh, <laughs> catastrophe. Uh, it's funny to think that Nicolas Cage may have killed as many people as the Germans did at Omaha Beach. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's sort of where I'm going with this. Like, considering the level of violence and the amount of death that we're subjected to, why are action movies, you know, entertaining and fun and slasher movies sort of worthy of derision? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, Oh, yeah, you, you make an excellent point. Um, I don't know, the tone, possibly. These action movies are, I don't think, taking themselves seriously, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, they're trying to entertain while the, the slasher movies are sort of titillating with the violence, maybe. But well, I don't know. You can I, easily I, make the argument. I think these movies bring the violence, but not the fear. I think yeah. that what a lot of people don't like about the horror movie is not so much the fact that they're full of tits and blood. In fact, I think that humanity may be hardwired to be fascinated with sex and violence. <laughs> but I think that these action movies are just open and honest about it and says, you guys want violence. Here it is. 
And yeah, it's bluntly weird. simple, but sometimes that's works. But it's interesting to me that people will line up to poo poo Friday the thirteenth, but think that face off is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I certainly don't want to be on record saying that. Face off, right. fucking amazing. <laughs> that might be overstating it. I don't want to put any words in your mouth here, but uh, unless there's something else you want to say, I will list off the six movies we're going to talk about today. Yeah, no, go ahead. Okay, we are going to do the Raid Redemption from uh, hot director Gareth Evans. We're going to do the new interpretation of Dread. This stars Carl Urban and not Sylvester Stallone. That's an important <laughs> distinction to make to anyone it is indeed. who has been subjected to Stallone's pass. Uh, we, we made mef- mention of Nicolas Cage. We're going to talk about the 1997 instant classic Face-Off. <laughs> uh, we're going to look at an uh, action franchise, in fact the last chapter of it, called Lethal Weapon 4, uh, starring a then-still-relevant Mel Gibson. <laughs> Um, We're going to go on for Kiss of the Dragon Which was produced by Luc Besson And it stars Jet Li In a sort of Paris set actioner And we're going to finish it off with Arnold Schwarzenegger dusting himself off Coming out of retirement To grace the big screen again In The Last Stand Weirdly not an Oscar nominee Among them And (laughs) And yet I think that there's fun to be had so, Chris Tomich from Perth, Australia. You ready to go? Let's do this. Thing. I am. Let's do it. So I want to talk about a movie called The Raid Redemption out of Indonesia. Uh, This director, Gareth Evans, is uh, coming up and he's turned down a lot of major offers uh, to continue making these Raid movies. There's this, a sequel, and apparently a third one on the way. People are so impressed with the action choreography and the stunt work that he has come up with that the third movie's actually been delayed so that they can do fight and stunt choreography for these obscure Star Wars movies that are going on right now. So I <laughs> yeah, think that... Who would we, sign up for that? Weird. So I think we can go into this uh, being honest, that the fight choreography and the stunt work and generally the action in this movie is handled amazingly. I will say, like, before we even get into the plot, if you're into action and sort of richly choreographed martial arts, yes, this movie will work for you. If you're into a movie that has a deep story or is about anything other than martial arts and amazing choreography, this may be where you run into problems. I have to give the movie points. It's a 100 minutes long, and on the case that I have here, it says quite authentically that it has one minute of romance 
and then 99 minutes of non-stop carnage. <laughs> now, if that's the goal that they set themselves, and I'm all about that, what did the movie want to do and how close did they come to achieving it? If they just wanted to make a balls-out crazy action movie, this is 100% successful. But I have played video games with more depth. <laughs> so I come in a fan of the Raid Redemption, and I do get why people love it. But I do think it might fall short of being a masterpiece. <laughs> but that's me. Uh, it basically involves this badass uh, police officer, Rama, who gets sent in with a squad of uh, fellow members to take out the huge apartment building that's being run by this evil drug lord and they end up being trapped inside and essentially having to fight their way out and we quickly get whittled down to one or two survivors and it really does feel video game he has to fight his way up a level or down a level and every now and then he'll encounter a boss and that fight will take <laughs> significantly longer and uh, ask him to dig a little deeper into his skill set uh, where do you land on the raid redemption well, I think you're maybe giving video games not enough credit when you compare this to them. <laughs> um, I've seen commercials with more with more depth, but I, I do I, I do I did very much enjoy this movie. The action is uh, pretty amazing. I I went in sort of thinking this I, like I didn't look it up or anything. You just said watch this, and yes. I was all right. I thought maybe this will be some sort of um, like police film. There'll be There'll be like tense moments, but no, it's just it's just <laughs> pure. It just turns it turns into a kung fu movie basically, yeah. and uh, and yeah, there's just nonstop kicking and punching, and it's all very well filmed. <laughs> it's very exciting, but it, it is exciting. Yellow, yeah. That's what the movie runs on, the, and just the sheer energy of it. Some of the plot points are kind of brutal. If you if you just were to explain the A, B, and C of it. This guy finds out that in the midst of all of this chaos, that the right-hand man of this drug lord happens to be what? His brother. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it gave me echoes of this Robert Rodriguez movie, uh, Desperado, which is similarly amazingly well shot, amazingly executed, but so stupid I have to turn the sound off if I'm going to watch it. It's just completely empty. I think that I'll give the raid a few more points to it than that. I, I, I think that some of the silliness might be happily lost in translation. <laughs> we uh, believe and agree with everything that we're presented with because it's moving so fast that we just don't have a choice to think about it. It's upon reflection that things seem a little bit nonsensical to me. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're watching it, you're along for the ride, and it and it works. Yeah, but, exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think that there's a really interesting scene for a fight sequence about two-thirds of the way through this exhausting 100 minutes <laughs> where um, basically the only other police officer on Rama's squad who has shown himself to be noble and capable squares off against the sort of head bad henchman of the drug lord. And we know that Rama's our hero, so we kind of know how this fight's going to play out. This cop's not going to make it home. <laughs> <laughs> it is, a, I, I think, probably 10-minute fight. Just unrelenting choreograph, like crazily done, but exhausting. And I knew at the beginning of the fight how it was going to play out. Now, would it have been better if it had been two or three punches and out? No, I guess not. But it does take away from uh, 
I guess the suspense that we know this man needs to die to sort of feed the revenge for this final fight that we're going to be leading into, right? <laughs> That's right. They weren't. They definitely weren't um, trying to upset the genre with this film. No, no. But I think they delivered what they wanted. And um, oh, hang on, I had a point. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's gone. So, it's on know. a technical filmmaking level, like the cinematography and the choreograph, like uh, choreography. I can't really say anything bad. And me picking on the plot, especially in a list of movies called Action Bloodlust. I mean, <laughs> what do you want when you watch a movie like this? You want action, and you want great fight sequences, and you want a hero that you can cheer for. And the Raid Redemption definitely supplies all of that. I think we have to kind of wait for the Raid 2 for them to actually attempt to tell a story. And even then, it's a very familiar story, but uh, there's a little bit more layer, a little bit more depth, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think what this movie is like a perfect 15-year-old movie uh, <laughs> for a 15-year-old because this is the exact movie that you watch and then you go to school the next day and you talk about your favorite kill. Like, <laughs> I like the bit where he pulled the guy's head onto the floor, onto the spikes on the floor, yeah. or when the fridge exploded. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. He throws a guy over the railing, and instead of him falling all the way down to the bottom floor, he lands on his back on another railing about two <laughs> levels down. <laughs> Ow! And that is where I will give this movie a lot of points. There's so many scenes where I'm watching an action sequence and I go, Oh, Jesus! Like, that would kill! I cannot believe that like, anybody could be subjected to that. Like, huh. Did yeah, they, they kill any stuntmen? Like, I, I think that there should be, at the end of the, the credit screel from, from most films, there's like, no animals were hurt in the making of this production. But they don't have the same sort of <laughs> thing for... People, yes, a lot of people got hurt. Animals. The production would like to give the condolences to the following stuntmen's families. Uh, another thing I will give this movie points for, it's, it, it's a weird throwback thing to maybe the 1980s kind of badassery. I was talking about it being a video game where you meet a boss or whatever. There's a scene towards the end of the movie where his brother is being tortured and beaten and he walks into this room with this bad henchman. And before they have a fight, the henchman releases his brother, lets them catch their breath, sort of limber up a little bit, and just without a word, agrees to take them on two-on-one, just because he's that much of a badass. He is so badass. Oh, he lives to fight. Yes. And, like, explaining that, it sounds completely, and it is completely ludicrous. But watching the scene take place when, like... I love it. I love. It's one of those things that I'd like to sort of see dailies of when they were shooting it because you got to believe that the actors would lose their composure and laugh because they're <laughs> super serious about it, right? There's this epic stare down that happens before the fight. It, it, it's like if you know people like to watch these wrestling or whatever before the bout, the wrestlers meet and they go like nose to nose and they like square off against each other and measure dicks or whatever. <laughs> this all happens sort of within this little showdown before the fight starts and it's one of these bizarre things that is simultaneously completely stupid and awesome <laughs> yeah i mean it, it did work without any dialogue or anything you know exactly what was going on you know you knew his motivation and it worked it was fun i think that's a fair summation for the movie itself though like that it's completely ridiculous and awesome <laughs> 
if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. The only thing uh, that let the fighting down a little bit is that, I don't know about for you, but for me, like, it was obvious the, their, their, their rifles were not not blank firing rifles or anything. They were clearly just props or something. You could see them miming oh, really? quite obviously. And there was, it was like CG'd in. Yeah. Just, well, for me, I noticed. But, you know, otherwise it was, it was it, really fun. It's and, un- and watching the policemen un- die horrifically yeah. and rapidly. Yeah. They, they go with like 12 guys and there's like, snap, snap, snap. Yeah. We're down to two. Yeah, it gets down to two very rapidly. <laughs> very rapidly. <laughs> Uh, I can see that the movie might wear a few people out, but if you're in the mood for this, uh, yeah, absolutely. I endorse the Raid Redemption. <laughs> is there yeah, anything, I agree. Is there anything else you want to say about it before we move on? Uh, watch it with some friends a little bit drunk. Yes. You know, <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll enjoy it. I like the, the really impressive thing about this, Chris, is this is nowhere near the stupidest movie that we're going to be reviewing. <laughs> <laughs> that is unfortunately or fortunately true. Makes the brain feel as if time is passing at one percent its normal speed. If we play this right, we could take the whole city. Trees is the manufacturing base for all the slow mo in Mega City One. You know how often we get a judge up in Peace Trees? Well, you got one now. Okay, so I want to talk about this Dread movie that came out a couple years ago. Not, again, not <laughs> the Sylvester Stallone Dread from the 90s. Yeah, it's this, not Judge Dread. No, this just is just Dread. Dread 3D, actually, I think it's called. <laughs> Dread 3D when it was in theaters, yes. My DVD mm. just says Dread, unfortunately. It says Dread. Uh, it stars Carl Urban. I don't know. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's he's sort of hooked himself up with this uh, Star Trek franchise. I usually thought he was like a, a solid actor, but he's never completely knocked me over. But you know, he's a workman, and uh, it was must have felt nice to finally get a starring role, and then find out, oh, I never take my helmet off. <laughs> are, are you well, familiar good. with Judge Dredd the comic book at all? Uh, I only I haven't read it much i have read a couple issues but uh yeah i know that he never does and it was a massive bone of contention with the fans when sylvester stallone spent 90 percent of the movie walking around with it off it's nice that carl urban felt or the production you know that they uh were wanted to uh you know be true to the comics in that way they they took notes from the fan you know backlash to the first (laughs) film the interesting thing about Judge Dredd, I, I haven't read a lot of the comic books. I read some back in the day, but it's actually a British rag originally. And it's sort of this post-apocalyptic world where there's this huge walled city where people can still live, but it's complete chaos. So there are these judges that basically are a walking, <laughs> shooting 
law <laughs> machine. They are judge, jury, and ex executioner. They don't just show up and arrest people. They show up, they catch them in the act. If they're guilty, they can be executed or dragged away on the spot. Their trial happens simultaneous to their arrest. And this is how way, the British imagine American police. Exactly what I was going to say. It's <laughs> kind of like this British perspective on the sort of crazy, violent chaos of the Americas, right? <laughs> um, it's funny, though, because uh, it's really embraced by the American audience. This is being so awesome, which may have vindicated that maybe limited perspective that the book has on America. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they see it as, as uh, all well and good rather than being in any way satirical. The book is bluntly simple. And consequently, so is this movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think one of the reasons I wanted to do this with the Raid Redemption is that the plot is remarkably similar. I think that there's more going on in this Dread movie because we get more set up with this uh, drug lord Mama, played by Lena Headey, who's, uh, you know, in control of this super crazy drug that, uh, to users, uh, essentially stops or slows down time. And a, a lot of the uh, sequences of the movie we sort of see through the perspective of these drug users. So they get to use the phantom cam and use super crazy slow motion for ultra-violent action shootout <laughs> sequences. It is fun that they uh, were able to work into the plot the fact that they wanted to do cool, slow-mo bullets going through people. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it, it works. I, I enjoy it. They work the aesthetic not just for the action sequences, but for plot points. Uh, yeah. Mama, in order to punish people who had betrayed her, forced them to take this slow-down drug and then throw them off of a roof. And as they fall, their brain interprets this fall to take hours and hours as they slowly fall to their death, right? <laughs> it's conceptually kind of cool and visually kind of cool, and those two things married, and I was, I was genuinely impressed by it. Overall, scene after scene as I was watching Judge, or I keep on trying to call it Judge Dredd, as I was watching Dredd, <laughs> I kept on thinking, wow, this is way better than it has any business being. <laughs> Now, much like the raid, they get inside this building, they get locked inside, and they essentially have to shoot their way out. It does sort of deteriorate into this same video game logic. But the world is more interesting and more, well, richly textured because they clearly had more of a budget to play with in this movie. Uh, so that it it elevates it. And the fact that people are used, wearing these crazy costumes and some of them have psychic powers kind of add to the, the silly, sort of fun vibe of the movie. And it's a strange tightrope to walk, because I will say that the movie is fun, but it is also incredibly violent. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that if you caught this movie on the wrong day, that you might walk away kind of appalled by it. But if you uh, watched it on the right day, you'd be throwing up high fives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that is true. This, this is uh, a movie where you need to know your audience. Uh, I really got off and enjoyed this movie, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to just anybody. It will scratch the itch of a certain corner of the audience. Uh, and mm. Hopefully yours. Where do you land on Dread? Well, I have to uh, give away that I, I love this movie. There is, um, it's so well executed, and the world 
the world building is so rich without even knowing anything about dread you get you know you know about their world and you can see how people live uh you know non without being told as well just like the the sets and props and everything that uh, totally works and i love that it's the scale of it is so small you know he's not trying to save the world or anything he's just trying to survive in this terrible situation he's suddenly found in you know it's kind of something he probably d experiences <laughs> more than once in his uh, in his duties on some level it seems like just another day for dread because he is completely unfazable and because we <laughs> never really get a good look at his eyes or anything we just see this scowling face he he really does seem like he should occupy the same sort of territory of Blade or Riddick of these heroes who are so macho that they don't fear anything and because our hero has no fear then I don't fear for them but they kind of balanced it out because he has this trainee with him played by Olivia Thrillby and uh, she's psychic so she can sort of help get information and, and help you know them get their way out of the, the corners that they're in but as a cat she can't use her psychic powers while her helmet's on. <laughs> so you actually get to see an actor performing yeah so he's got a you know a pretty blonde sidekick who can you know use by psychic abilities next to him and i think that that's helpful as opposed to having well just to pick a name out of the ether i don't know rob schneider <laughs> I, you know she's somebody who kind of respects and in some ways wants to be judge dread but is in way over her head he is not phased by this, like he is just doing whatever he's going to need to do to survive and get to the next day. But Anderson, this uh, Olivia Thurlby character, is sort of with us, with the audience. She is new to all of this and consequently quite terrified. <laughs> and that yeah, helps me. Yeah, I do have issues with, with action heroes who are too macho for the movie that they're in in some ways. If, if the hero has no fear, I can't fear for them. And uh, they kind of get a good little end run around that here, mm. I thought. He, well, yeah, in a way, the uh, uh, Olivia character, um, Anderson, is, is she's the main character. You know, she's our, she's our um, protagonist. It's her we, training. We learn day. with her. It this, is, this yeah. This could be some futuristic and, remake of Training Day or something. He's, he's, the, uh, he's the mentor, really. Yeah. Isn't he? And... Uh, but it, it it works for me. I mean, eh, when it's he's an unflappable badass, but it's still, yeah, it still works in my mind. He he. Well, he he does at at the end. He's he's he gets angry. You know, he's he does bend the rules, just ever so slightly here and there. <laughs> um, you know, so we see a tiny. You know, he gets more violent, <laughs> but uh, he does show a little emotion. Well, and when he shot, I felt uh, I was quite kind of surprised. I thought, oh, he's, uh, you know. That was a bad hit. That is not a good yeah. wound. That looks like that's going to hurt you. <laughs> you might have to take a day off, Fred. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's the classic throw some dirt on it type of badass, though, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's another interesting plot point of the movie. Some other judges that have been bought off sort of show up at the... Uh, at the building and uh, of course Dredd sniffs them out right away but there's a scene in there where he smashes a guy in the throat with the butt of his gun I found like for all the violence in the movie I just found that so disturbing it was just awful yeah. that was just watching the man drowning in his own blood <laughs> that was that was pretty horrifying 
I also and, want to uh, spend a little bit of time on Lena Headey, the mama character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interesting way to sort of put some femininity into this very male macho movie. And I like that she is a full balls out villain and that she's allowed the full balls out villain fate. I had this little voice in the back of my head that like, uh, Dredd is going to be badass until it comes to Mama. They're going to be soft when it yeah. comes to how he deals with Mama at the end because he's not going to be so rough with the girl. You know yeah, what? Yeah, Dredd is uncompromising, which is <laughs> you know that's probably why I, I like him as as the unflappable badass because he you know he still follows his own rules. He's yeah. just no sympathy. He'll shoot people when they deserve it. Mama does not me. hit from the ladies' tee. You know she's playing the same game that everybody else is and. Mm. Uh, when you know she faces off against Dread, knowing that she's caught, and she gets all sort of smug. Everybody gets caught. It was all part of my plan. I have a fail safe. Fuck you, Dread. Right? <laughs> no, he deals with it. No, he deals with it very directly. And uh, yeah, it 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 genuinely impressed me. Not that I really wanted to see some this woman, you know, suffer <laughs> such a violent death, but because she was responsible for all of the incredible violence that we'd seen in the movie, it seemed only appropriate that she got an equally, you know, violent fate. And well, is- she, she seems to even understand this. Like, the moment that she realizes what's going to happen to her, there's actually a brief smirk that passes her lips. I, I don't know. They're, like... This movie, again, I'll come back to it, is just way better than it has any business <laughs> being. She, yeah, she's, she even has, you know, you, you, we learn about her tragic backstory in a way, and and she's quite well-rounded for such a ridiculously villainous <laughs> character, yeah. right? No, she was made into a monster, but she is yeah. a monster. <laughs> That's right, and, and uh, you know... I guess the movie is commenting on on the, the ultra violence, yeah. In a way, in that way, you know what, um, staring into the abyss and all that with with dread, well, and uh, and it's not and just her it. lackeys that she's killing off. It's not just you know gangsters killing gangsters. When she mm. knows that dread is on a certain floor, she has this huge artillery gun blast through all the <laughs> levels of the floor and kill basically everybody who happened to be on that floor in that moment yeah. in her effort to get this one guy. She is uncompromisingly badass. In her own way, a worthy enemy, adversary to dread. <laughs> so, yeah, I like Lena Headey, and I like that they, they she was she played equal weight. I think a lesser movie would have, you know, she would have got arrested and had a little cry at the end and had to go to her room. And I'm yeah, glad that is, they didn't do that. Yeah, that is one thing that I despise in action films. They do this all the time. Is that they will happily mow down 18 henchmen. You know, 18 yeah. sons and fathers, whatever. But when they get to the final boss who's responsible for everything, they'll, they'll, they'll wound them. Yeah. And then they'll be lying there and they'll be like, you're not worth it. Or whatever. <laughs> And, no, I'm going to arrest you. And then the the boss inevitably tries to stab them in the back and they have to kill them then. But it's just like, for some reason, if it's if it's just a, a goon standing around, you can kill him without thinking about it. But once it's the, it's the boss, yeah. it, it, that's not on. But um, this movie didn't do that. So, uh, you know, it is. It's better than it, than it should be. <laughs> it disappointed at the box office, but has done quite a bit of business on demand and video or whatever mm. they call the dying physical market. And there this is, is a kind of movie that would be 
like excellent as a TV series. Use yeah. this as a, the jumping off point, and then let's have a HBO style, you know. Yeah, well, they could do that. I was just going to say, there's a whole fan movement trying to start a petition to give us Dread too. Yeah. And the ingredients are all there, you know. If they got the same writing team, the same director, and the same cast, I would be there. Um, yeah, and there's a big world to explore. Yeah. You know, a dystopian future is, I, I love it, so I would be well on board with that. But I will say, just to caution this this praise that I'm putting on there, it, it overperformed because I had low expectations for it. <laughs> um, I, I don't necessarily think anybody, just anybody, would be as enthusiastic as you and I. I'm happy that you agree with me, but I'm not necessarily confident that everyone will. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, definitely... Film snobs need not apply, I think, this film. <laughs> this is bloodletting entertainment. And if that doesn't fit your bill, please stay away. <laughs> I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He, he has no conscience and he, uh, he shows no, no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He... Uh, it's a felony list a mile long, murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism, you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every, every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. The point <laughs> is, John Woo came from overseas having a great success doing all sorts of epic action movies uh, that basically that style of action was stolen by the people who made The Matrix uh, to sort of spotlight what action movies can could possibly be it seems like for a long time american action movies were all shoot them out you know like uh there'll be the good guys wearing the white hats and the bad guys wearing the black hats and they will shoot each other and the bad guys will fall down and the good guys won't <laughs> the level of action that we see in eastern you know action films was a whole different universe i remember going to uh the place real when i went to university this theater there where they would show movies like the killer and then some of John Woo's early films that were just staggeringly executed in the action. And so Hollywood found him, they brought him over here, he worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme, he did this Broken Arrow movie with John Travolta, and in 1997 he got a hold of Nicolas Cage, hot off of his Oscar win, and John Travolta again to do this sci-fi action thriller called Face Off. Wow. Um, I've described this movie as if you were watching some sort of satirical comedy and uh, some kid in that movie was watching TV and they cut to the footage of this action movie he was watching and that action movie was so ridiculous and over the top that it was basically a commentary on how ridiculous and over the top action movies were the clip on the TV screen would be this movie it would be Face Off it is, it is it is yeah it is so over the top uh, it's preposterous it, 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 is it is but it's preposterous that, that's what makes it fun you are laughing at the whole time 
watching this movie and i don't know it's got it's got some style you know that it like adds a little in in an over the top way you know like the slow motion the doves flying up as people are firing their machine guns you know and uh but it is uh like you said just ludicrous a ludicrous film i i think i could almost qualify this movie as a so crazy that it demands to be watched or so bad it's good if you want to but at 138 minutes i'm gonna have to put the brakes on even that (laughs) the premise uh, and one of the many things that that they could have done to help themselves was just set this in the future (laughs) yeah it's set in the contemporary times yeah yet we have the technology to transform (laughs) Nicholas Cage into John Travolta, in, or or both ways around yeah. in, in in a mad way yes. they managed to swap bodies. The opening sequence of the movie, uh, John Travolta's character has finally closed in on his arch ne- nemesis, played by Nicholas Cage, and he does manage to capture him. But in that sequence, Nicholas Cage kills. I'm going to say three quarters of the Los Angeles Police Department. <laughs> At least a dozen, a dozen to twenty men are gunned down. Yes, instantly as well. That no one's wounded. No, nope, everyone is killed. All shot through the heart. One hundred percent of the time. Uh, so yes, they they finally captured Caster Troy. I believe is his name, as I remember. But that's right, yep. the evil son of a bitch still has a plot, still has a plan in the works, and uh, they need. Even though he's badly hurt in a coma, they need Caster Troy to get this information to save lives. So no problem. They're going to pop the face off of Nicolas Cage, <laughs> pop the face off of John Travolta, put the face on the other body, and use some really quick explanation as to how to change their voices and how their body shapes are not anywhere near each other. <laughs> Whatever, we're just going to... Oh, yeah, we're hair plugs, and, and we change your hair like with lasers. It's fine. Don't, don't yeah. think about it. <laughs> just, just don't worry about it, you guys. And, <laughs> So Don Travolta goes undercover as the Nicolas Cage character, and what? Nicolas Cage wakes up without a face, manages <laughs> without a face to hold the entire hospital hostage, get his John Travolta's face put on his, and kill everybody, everybody who knows that they switched faces. Are you still with thing. me, everybody? <laughs> the funny thing is, watching it, it's even more ridiculous than listening to that explanation. Uh, and, and I'm trying to be as efficient with the plot as I can. Uh, so now, John Travolta's character, who is now being played by Nicolas Cage, goes to a crazy cyber prison. <laughs> Again, floating in the middle of the ocean where they have magnetic boots, and it seems like this should be set in the future or in outer space or in something. It's crazy. It's crazy, and I don't think that it knows how crazy it is. I don't know if there was something lost in translation with John Woo. He was focusing on handling the action, and the script was the script. Like, he just assumed that it made sense to the people who spoke English as a first language. It does have a hypnotizing, batshit quality to it. And as far as eccentric, particularly performances, particularly from Nicolas Cage, there's, mm. there's a high watermark of crazy engage in this it is particularly but, fun like Nicolas Cage at the start is full crazy <laughs> Nicolas Cage 
and and he's wearing a purple suit and these round glasses and it's it's ludicrous and it's but it's fun and then i like when they change faces they're sort of you know they're acting as each other and um you know, not as as a particular character. They're just acting as how people probably perceive John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, <laughs> and and it's fun. It's really good. There is he ha- he does have sex with his wife as well. How's yeah, how's that? For, how's that for creepy? <laughs> Joan Allen, who is just an amazing actress. You know, a lot of really good actors are in this preposterous movie, <laughs> and, and like. You get the feeling like like Travolta's wife vaguely smells a rat. Yeah, uh, that's what I felt too. It's like she's this is not my husband. Like they have a, he's acting completely differently for how he always is, and 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 but she's she's like oh well whatever. He's like in his in the house like smoking and drinking and telling his teenage daughter to be you know naughty or whatever. And she doesn't <laughs> like her. She's and my husband's penis seems strangely larger than it was last. <laughs> Very irregular. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> well roll with it. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's just a phase he's going through or something. <laughs> and so yeah, much. He's gained time. twenty pounds overnight. <laughs> he's he's got he's covered in back hair now. <laughs> but, so much time is spent on how the noble police officer going <laughs> after the crazy sociopath are in the ends two sides of the same coin. Right. This is a theme that we've never seen explored before. Like, for instance, in every cop movie ever. <laughs> but it's wow. done with zero subtlety. The whole business no. with the teenage daughter and the John, evil John Travolta teaching her how to defend herself and in some ways being a more attentive father. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. What the fuck is that scene doing in the movie? Like, no, <laughs> clearly yeah, exactly. when they were cutting it together, they realized this thing is like almost two and a half hours long. We need to trim some fat people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we uh, when a man is like firing a machine gun from the 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 door of a Learjet as it's flying yes. <laughs> inches off the ground. <laughs> you probably don't need to have like a little family drama <laughs> thrown in the middle. Uh, yeah, it, it's so strange, and it culminates into another series of just exhausting action sequences. You talk about the Wu's propensity to jump in and out of slow motion, and to juxtapose like images of crazy violence with you know lens flares and slow motion doves flying past the screen and whatnot. Uh, but by this point in his career, it's almost become like a trademark stamp. There's nothing new or innovative about it. It might be new to American audiences who haven't seen his other work, but for me, it was just like him doing everything he can to give it that John Woo feeling. But again, I kind of think maybe something got lost in translation. <laughs> well, it, it um, yeah, talking about when I watched it, I you know I I was thinking, but talking about talking to you now about it, I, I have a higher opinion of how fun this movie was <laughs> than when I watched it. Well, that's the thing, because if it was 90 minutes or, like, even 100, I think that I'd have a different tone to my review. Mm. Yeah, are... but you kind of, like, forget the slow parts now. Yeah. I think, and, and I'm just remembering the peaks. Yeah, uh, and just great moments. There's uh, 
that scene where Nicolas Cage has escaped from prison and <laughs> has now regrouped with his, quote, friends. And he, you know, is feeling desperate and hitting bottom because he doesn't know how to deal with <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> and he has this now infamous monologue about how he needs to find John Travolta's character <laughs> and take his face off. <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing hysterically. Like, I have a hard time even describing it. But there's something about that scene as presented that is so deadly serious. <laughs> like... Wow! You, you couldn't make this movie now, I don't think. Uh, I, I, this might have been a perfect storm of 1997. I don't know if you could have made it before or after. It's just like, <laughs> what a crazy bunch of ingredients they got thrown together. And mm. I don't know what like the origin story of the script was. Like It does seem to me like it's science fiction, like it should have been set in the future it sounds yeah, like it really like, been... oh we'd have to make all these sets and stuff <laughs> and then we'd have to make like a future plane to shoot this this chase with the airplane so it would just be now but we have inexplicable science fiction technology yeah because that would be too silly what we really do need is a 20 minute boat chase that ends with <laughs> the boats exploding and both men being thrown about 200 meters through the air landing on the beach to then continue their fist fight <laughs> I, I am not making this up, kids. That's that is exactly what happens in the movie. Does deliver the action at least. I don't know what to say about this movie. I, I couldn't honestly recommend it, but in a way it kind of needs to be seen. Rec like in a future episode not too long after this one, I'm going to be talking about a film called Reign of Fire. It stars uh, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> and Christian Bale, and they're fighting dragons. And it sort of occupies a similar corner of my brain as Face Off, in that I can't honestly tell you that it's a good movie, but you should probably it, watch it. Yeah, it's, it's like this. It's like, I don't know what their intention was making either of those movies, but <laughs> there's something very entertaining about them. Yeah. Uh, but... Is that, like, the worst kind of praise we can give it? In a way, we're, like, <laughs> implying that they accidentally made a goofy, entertaining movie. John Woo can handle an action sequence, and Nicolas Cage can be an amusing presence. In, a, in 1997, his brand hadn't been sort of worn out to the degree that it has now. <laughs> For sure, check out Face Off. Uh, yep. I'm not necessarily saying it's good. I'm saying watch it and yeah, have a beer or six. You you probably probably won't regret it. <laughs> well put. Get ready. This is one of the most painful experiences of my life. They're promoting you, Captain Riggs. Captain Murtaugh. <laughs> to reload. Think you can stay off the streets and out of trouble? Yeah, absolutely. And take aim. Because your number is up. We never talked about marriage. You want to get married? You got the right to remain silent. You got the right to get an attorney. If you get Johnny Cochran, I'll kill you.
So the Lethal Weapon franchise. This is the first installment that has the privilege of being covered on rank and review. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I always, in my mind, sort of link the Lethal Weapon series to the whole '80s cops kill without remorse kind of subset of movies. Uh, and when I looked at the back of the box in Lethal Weapon Four and saw that it was 1998, I, I think some bells started to ring as to why. This particular chapter seems a little soft to me. <laughs> I mean, any any series that reaches chapter four is probably going to be entering the realm of diminishing returns. And I think that everyone involved kind of knew this was the last at-bat. So it becomes this, like, gallery of faces from the past movies and kind of like this, ah, shucks, we've become a family over the course of our many adventures together. And... That is counterbalanced with a story involving slave trades and <laughs> counterfeit money and the buying of some sort of drug lords. I was honestly a little bit confused by the sort of villain tract in the movie. <laughs> I think that despite having the presence of, you know... Uh, Supporting character Joe Pesci from Lethal Weapon 2 as Leo Getz, who's a character that has long worn out his welcome. Or, you know, the new addition of Chris Rock as this cop who really wants to impress Danny Glover's character because he's impregnated Danny Glover's uh, daughter. And of Pretty course, important to get on his good side. Yeah. And of course, Rene Russo, who in this movie gets to be the pregnant girlfriend in Jeopardy. Uh, the aw shucks sort of we've become a family thing kind of almost outweighs the action and the sort of compelling elements of the movie. So much so that Jet Li, who plays the main villain and who has very few lines of dialogue because his English was so poor at this point, I think steals the whole fucking movie. <laughs> and he doesn't say anything. Riggs and Murtaugh are joking and laughing and sort of zinging their way through one adventure to the other because they're this indestructible duo. And it's kind of sweet, you know, that what was sort of originally started as a, you know, fish-out-of-water buddy cop comedy where it was considered edgy for a white cop and a black cop to be working together and getting along to them yeah. to come to this place where they are genuinely a family is kind of sweet, I guess but not what I'm looking for in a movie called <laughs> Lethal Weapon 4. There's no, I mean, uh... a large percentage of aw shucks to this movie, and I wanted more shit to blow up. Yeah, well, Riggs is like gone from a, a suicidal uh, cop on the edge to to <laughs> being part of of uh, Murtaugh's family. Yeah. And it, it is kind of nice, but yeah, they... Uh, yeah, you, 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 you nailed it when you said about them the orshucks yeah you know and like and and throwing in all the comic relief characters and i don't know and and it starts off absurd like them like having witty banter as they fight an indestructible flame-throwing man yeah. <laughs> who's just gone mad and decided to rain destruction on the streets. That is an interesting little subplot because there was, of course, a very famous shootout that happened in Los Angeles 
where uh, these guys wearing heavy armor, you know, mm. there was an open firefight in the middle of the street, and you know, yeah, was, they robbed the bank, right? Yeah, and it was quite terrifying. Um, and this movie sort of uses that as a light comic introduction to *Lethal Weapon* <laughs> four. You were talking about like things that maybe wouldn't be made today. You can definitely tell that this was a pre nine eleven movie <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. because <laughs> the violence and the death do not carry weight in this movie. Everything is hilarious and light and fun. And the Lethal Weapon series wasn't always this. And it's interesting because Richard Donner directed all of them. So, I mean, he's steering the ship the whole time. But although it's saturated in 80s and it's got its sort of own hilarious, you know, flaws through time, the first Lethal Weapon is a fairly straight action movie. And then the next movie is sort of a more ludicrous straight action movie. The third movie becomes an Oshucks buddy comedy. <laughs> and this is almost like, if, if, with the exception of a couple of scenes, like, uh, uh, I love you, man, bromance. <laughs> what do you want from a Lethal Weapon movie? I mean, are you a fan of the franchise as a rule? I hadn't, uh, I had seen them a, a while ago. Yeah. And... I had that totally blurred in my mind right. as to which was which. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm a chicky fan, but uh, I am, you know, I did, I actually, I, I foolishly watched them all through <laughs> preparing for this. And now they've also started to blur together. In my <laughs> mind. <laughs> but uh, I think they're pretty, they're, they're fun films. They're definitely of their era. They haven't aged yeah. uh, in a way, in any way that, you know, they're not going to stand up. I don't necessarily think that this is sacred ground for me. I understand the appeal of the Lethal Weapon movies, and they do have their time and place, but if they wanted to remake and reboot this franchise, I say go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, do it. And certainly. Uh, bring it, back Mel. Yeah. I, I, love, I love Mel. I don't care about any actor's personal life. <laughs> I just love seeing him on screen, you know? No, do a remake of Lethal Weapon, and Mel Gibson can be the bad guy. In, yes, in that movie. there you go. I'd fucking pay for that. Like, oh, he did that in um, Expendables too. He was uh, the baddie. See, I didn't see Expendables too. Shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I got everything I needed out of the Expendables from Expendables One, but I, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> well, maybe he's in Expendables Three. I don't know how many of those movies there are, but I, 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 that was the the high water mark for that 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 terrible franchise. Well, here's the thing I will, I will say about Mel Gibson. I mean, he's charming as Riggs, and he remains mm. charming as Riggs. It's a little weird that he doesn't have the mullet. Yeah, <laughs> the that's, mullet. That's I, I think character. that was like a deleted, <laughs> a deleted scene in the movie where like Murtaugh and a bunch of the buddies in the police force wrestled him to the ground and forcibly <laughs> shaved the... As tears are streaming down his face. <laughs> you bastards, don't you dare! <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, I think Mel Gibson is a totally decent actor. He may be a terrible person, but he's a decent <laughs> actor. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, I, I guess. But getting back to the movie itself, uh, please cut Joe Pesci entirely out of this movie. I think that Leo Getz had a limited amount of charm in the Lethal Weapon 2 when he was introduced, and... Didn't have a lot to do, but was kind of like, oh, there's Joe Pesci in the in the third movie. No reason to have him in the fourth. 
at all. You're keeping Chris Rock or Renee Russo and you're bringing in Chris Rock. You don't need Joe Pesci. You just don't. And at this point, Leo gets, he's not even comic foil anymore. He's just a guy making, screaming at the background of, of any other scene, <laughs> you know. He, he actually weighs the movie down. I think Joe Pesci is a really good actor and I think he's doing exactly what they want him to do. I just don't think they need him in the movie. Uh, no, I agree. The fact that Murtaugh's daughter is pregnant and that, uh, you know, uh, Mel Gibson's girlfriend is pregnant is supposed to, you know, elevate the stakes. But they're not going to kill a pregnant woman in, this movie, in, a, in a Lethal Weapon movie. It's just not going to happen. No. <laughs> uh, the fact that, you know, Jet Li leaves them to be burned alive in a house sort of solidifies him as a villain. But... <laughs> Where do where do you land on Jet Li? Oh, he's he's very good in this movie. Like he's he's yeah, I you totally buy him as a sinister a Chinese gangster badass, right? He is an intense physical presence, and uh, yeah, I, I hate to make everything about like The Simpsons, but <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of this. Simpsons episode. This is when you know you're a real professional critic. <laughs> but there's a, for some reason in the backyards of the Simpsons, there's a big fight happening with a big Asian gang. And there's this one guy who's smaller than the rest of them and is wearing a suit and is sitting in the background and not doing anything. And Marge tries to move Homer into the house and Homer says, but the little guy hasn't done anything yet. You know he's going to do something really cool. <laughs> That's the vibe that we get from Jet Li. Before he opens up a can of whoop-ass, there's something really heavy about his presence. And he is a fairly small, not that intimidating looking guy. But he can kill you five times before you know what's happened to you. <laughs> yeah, you buy his intensity and you buy like the fact that uh, Riggs and Murtagh probably shouldn't be able to beat him. They are in a not fist fight. matched by him at all. And I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting that we finally had a villain that Riggs could not beat in a fair fight. <laughs> uh, I yeah, think that's... that what makes me edge to like saying, this is not a brilliant movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't care enough about it to say that it's a piece of shit or anything like that either. I think I might have just dismissed it entirely except for the last uh, sort of closing act of the movie, minus the schmaltz. Mm. There's a scene where basically all of the major bad guys have been handled and Riggs and Murtaugh can walk away. I mean, Jet Li is still a force out there, but he can't do any more damage. He'll either run back to his country or be picked up by police who are in a position to do something, because both of them are wounded and weaponless at this point. But they have this exchange where they're like... Did you see that move that he made where he just, like, took my gun apart in one smooth motion? Like, how the f how did he do how that? How did he do that? <laughs> and then they just say, well, let's go ask them. And even though they, they kind of know they can't win this fight and they're both unarmed, they turn around <laughs> and go have this fist fight. And I go back to our review of The Raid with the henchman who squares off against two guys instead of one just to show how badass he was. And, like, this was a ridiculous moment. But I kind of loved it. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of love that they do not win the fight, that it is way more out of luck than skill, that they defeat Jet Li. But if this is the climax of a four-series film, 
of Lethal Weapon. It's a pretty meek one, you know? And then, of course, we get the denouement where everybody has a new baby and everybody's in love and everybody's a family. And during the credit scroll, we see how much fun they had making these films. And as I was watching that, I think that I thought to myself, (laughs) they must have had a blast making this film. Probably more fun than I had watching it. (laughs) (laughs) It's an is-what-it-is movie is where I end up. Um, yeah. it's another Lethal Weapon movie. If you like Lethal Weapon movies, here's another one. I don't think it distinguishes itself in the series, but I couldn't say that it's a piece of crap. It's yeah, it's a perfect, perfectly functional 80s, 80s, being movie 80s, 80s action movie. If you like that, you just yeah, you'll you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, interesting too. Not like I, I reviewed Signs not long ago, and I kind of felt distracted by the presence of Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was because he was playing a priest in that movie. I, I was less distracted by the Mel in Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon. Uh, maybe this is just more his forte, sort of sort of movie he should be in. But yeah, it was Riggs and Murtaugh, as I remember them from 1986. <laughs> <laughs> just older and way sweeter. Older. And minus the mullet. Yeah. I would really appreciate it if you don't do that again. Dragon. So we're going to stick with Jet Li for our fifth review. Uh, this film, Kiss of the Dragon, uh, having proven successful in his appearance in Lethal Weapon 4 and having some other limited roles before this, uh, here we get Jet Li front and center in his first American film. It's produced in the European mar- market and shot in Paris, but... Uh, he is starring for the first time in an English language action film, and uh, he plays this agent who is tasked to help this Paris police officer uh, run this sting and uh, make an arrest. And would you believe it? The French cop turns out to be dirty. <laughs> I mean, French people just make great villains. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I used to date a French person. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> there's something, you know, action movies deal with broad strokes. And the sort of evil Russian and evil German thing has sort of been done to death. So I think it's the French's turn. <laughs> uh, I, the, you know, there's something weirdly smug about a French accent that, that makes them very punchable to me. <laughs> I mean, it's not as dumb sounding as an Australian accent, but it, you know. Fuck you, mate. Steady on. Feelings, Larry. Feelings. <laughs> um, this also co-stars Bridget Fonda, who plays a hooker with a heart of gold, who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and witnesses. Oh, they always do should... in movies. Yes. <laughs> There's not a single villainous hooker in a film, I don't think. Basically, by me explaining the fact that there's a crooked cop, a noble cop, and a hooker with a heart of gold, I basically have, I think, described the plot. Mm. I don't. I think basically you can just say that, and everyone know exactly how it plays out. Yeah. Do uh, the letter. Question for you, Chris. Just before we really get into this, has someone put out a missing persons report on Bridget Fonda? <laughs> Do you remember, like, in the '90s, where Bridget Fonda was all over the place and? 
you know, Jackie Brown pointing no return, single white female. <laughs> uh, like, she was everywhere, and I thought she was an up-and-comer, and, you know, she comes out of Hollywood royalty, and all of a sudden she just vanished. I'm wondering if uh, there's a yeah. story to go with that. I am actually just, I just put up her IMDb page here, mm -hmm. and her last credit is 2002. Hmm. And then, yeah, what happened? Dropped off the face of the earth. I guess she decided to just go about being rich and beautiful without bothering being an actress. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're rich and beautiful, you probably don't need to do much else. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom's Jane Fonda, you know, just hang out on the beach, I guess. Well, here's the thing. I don't think Bridget Fonda sucks as an actress. I've always thought that she was fine and charming and whatever. She, you know, maybe not Oscar caliber, but she can hold her weight. And she is playing an absolute cliche in this movie. And maybe it's because she's also working against a bunch of people who's, you know, English is not their first language, but <laughs> I really do think she kind of distinguished herself in this movie. Uh, it's at least trying to be a little more real-world than some of the other movies that we've talked about. The stunt work and the fight scenes are a little next level, but the scenario that they're presenting is within the realm of what could vaguely be described as things that could might happen. <laughs> yeah, they kind of vaguely try to show the terrible grungy life of a prostitute being, you know, on heroin or something. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, it all works out very well for everybody involved. But. Yeah, and it's definitely the type of movie where someone can kick drugs in a montage, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Just sweat it out. You'll be fine. I have, uh, I mean, I think that Dread's a better movie, but I have a similar response to Kiss of the Dragon in that I don't think it's a great movie, but in some ways I think it's a better movie than it maybe should be. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, this movie is pretty well regarded, I think. Right? Uh, people who've seen it, anyway. Yeah. There's and elements okay. that are kind of silly. There are, like I've talked about in the past, boss battles. I remember yeah. a sequence in particular <laughs> where there's these twin brothers who have, like, super kick. And <laughs> it seemed like this was a right out of Double Dragon or something. It was a boss yeah. fight. They had their special move. They had their special move that you had to figure out how to get around, you know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the fact that Jet Li has this little packet of uh, uh, needles, what do they call them? Um, oh, the acupuncture needles. Acupuncture needles, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but he uses them within the realm of his fight to either paralyze people or to make Bridget Fonda go to sleep. Or he's got this magic Asian power of the needle. <laughs> uh, again, uh, this may just be me pleading ignorance, but I've always looked with some measure of skepticism on acupuncture as it's mm. you know a way to measure your body energies or your chi or your soul but nobody can tell me what my body energy or my chi or my soul actually is <laughs> you know <laughs> but, but uh, it, it's like a lot of things possibly a placebo effect if it works for you it works for you i'm not trying to you know turn this review of kiss of the dragon into <laughs> some sort of political <laughs> statement but there is something silly and vaguely Maybe not racist, but the fact that the Asian guy can do magical stuff with the acupuncture needles is a little rough. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, you're, you're right. They definitely just play up on the sort of ignorance, you know, like people just assuming this is maybe possible that yeah. you can just stick a tiny needle into someone's and, and of course, the kiss of the dragon maneuver, his special move <laughs> yes. at the end. You can stick a needle in someone and cause a man to explode. 
explode from the inside. All of the blood goes to his head, but it stays there. Yes. (laughs) That was sort of the jump the shark scene of the movie, but it was also one of the very last scenes of the movie, too. So, And uh, this guy totally deserved a bad death. He was such a dickhole. (laughs) And he was French. French. (laughs) Oh, how dare he. Now, um, I do like the actor who played uh, Inspector Richard. I want to say Chicky Caro. Chicky Caro. Yeah, I'm not sure of that, but uh, yeah, I. But agree. you know him as that French guy <laughs> from every any, every and any American movie. Uh, but there was something deliciously hateable about that villain, and, and, and that's mm. kind of what you want. You want a guy who's bad, but you can almost cheer for, uh, but that you've kind of, you kind of you stick out the movie as much not to see the hero win, but the villain lose. Yes, yeah. You, you're just waiting for him to get his ridiculous comeuppance, and he does yeah. as, he's, as he bleeds through his eyeballs. <laughs> The A, B, and C plot points, like when he gets betrayed and he ends up, you know, in this warehouse and he meets this nice Asian gentleman who helps him and he's his contact and says he's, you know, he's always going to be there for him. Well, what's going to happen with that guy? He's not living through the movie, right? No. (laughs) You're going to be, if you're half movie savvy, two two steps ahead of this movie at every step. I mm. think what it comes through and what makes it a, what saves it is how well the action is handled. We kind of downplayed it in the Lethal Weapon 4. Jet Li only has a few scenes in which he really gets to show his stuff, but it's super impressive. And this has, like, throughout the movie, just amazing stunt work. It's not mm. just, like, the what he does. It, with Jet Li, it's just the speed with, that he has, the precision of his fighting there's something really efficient and brutal about it <laughs> and yeah uh, and this movie doesn't go abs- absurdly over the top with the the kung fu stuff yeah you know i mean obviously it does because every time you have kung fu in a movie they're m- magic men yeah but <laughs> but it's not uh, like uh, crouching tiger hidden dragon standards they're yeah. not flying through the air no, no. Uh, there's a few little things like you talked about the kiss of the dragon needle or there's this one scene where he kicks a billiard ball out of the pocket <laughs> of the table and then in midair kicks that ball into a guy's head i'm not saying it's impossible to do that i'm saying there were probably easier ways to do that i'm saying jetley was maybe showing off a little bit with that <laughs> yeah that's true but uh, when you're a badass kung fu master you gotta have your your uh, ostentatious moves yeah I also think that the movie did it well because Jet Li was still learning English, so like he he still mm. played a part. He you know he did it well, but he had these moments where he was able to sound powerful by saying very little. Like there's yeah. a moment where he says, "Please don't do that again," and just in his delivery, you're like, "Yeah, don't do that again. He will fuck you up if you do that again." And uh, yeah. I I thought that was well done. I mean. I have such yeah. respect for people who make the jump overseas in such a way. It would, it, acting is not an easy thing to do. Learning another language is not an easy thing to do. So to do that simultaneously, you're, you're, you're jumping into the deep end of the pool. And it, it's a lot of skill, a lot of trust. And yeah, I mean, I respect that. Now, yeah, I'm not saying Jet Li gives an Oscar-caliber performance or anything, but consider the fact that the man spoke almost no English. 
I think that he does, he carries the movie well, and he's got real he a real character, a real personality, and he's likable. You know. Yeah, he's well he's well acted and well well directed. I think, yeah. and you know, used appropriately. But yeah, you were right about what you said about Bridget Fonda, though. Uh, she is the hooker with the heart of gold. She's got this <laughs> daughter who she loves, but she's. Uh, yeah you know, basically <laughs> indentured to this evil French cop. and Yeah, uh, who, who injects heroin into her. Yeah. She's not even, you know... She's managed uh, to kick it, but he's going to keep her on the needle so he can control yeah. her. <laughs> it's, what a bastard. Yeah. Uh, but it, in a way, Bridget Fonda's performance is so strong <laughs> that... Uh, you know, it's heartbreaking and real in a way that nothing else in the movie kind of is. And <laughs> because the script is a little bit simplistic and she sort of turns from miserable to happy with like a switch, like nobody really does in real life, uh, it would not have been an easy feat, you know. Uh, yeah. She doesn't have a lot to do via the action. She's re repeatedly rescued and or injured. And yet, she's a complete likable character. It'd be a weirdly fine line to walk, because you're playing a cliche, but you're playing it well, girl. <laughs> but really, 2002, you said, was her last movie credit. Yeah. This was 2001, so... Oh. <laughs> oh she alas. gave it up soon after this. <laughs> well, Didn't like peeing in an alley for a film. <laughs> always leave them <laughs> laughing, I guess. Um... <laughs> I may have sounded a little over-enthusiastic about Kiss of the Dragon. There are certainly better action movies than this, and certainly better Jet Li action movies than this, but I like it. It's produced by Luc Besson. It's got this nice international vibe to it. The action scenes are well handled. The movie's fairly well paced. It's not going to change your life, but if you're looking for something to kill 90 minutes, you can do worse. That's where mm -hmm. I end on it. Do you have any final thoughts, Jerry Springer? <laughs> well you just gotta kick the heroin you yeah. know Stay off meet a age. wise Chinese man <laughs> cook you some rice montage one, one montage you're, you're good to go <laughs> hey sheriff almost didn't recognize you in plain clothes well it's midday off should be a quiet weekend Sheriff Owens? We have a situation. I have a violent fugitive making a run for the Mexican border. The FBI says there's an escaped fugitive heading our way. I'm not gonna let them come through town without a fight. So we're on our own. I got an idea. Oh! Oh! <laughs> oh! Hey, Ray, how you doing, man? There's an escaped fugitive coming through town. Consider yourself deputized. Any damage caused by me will be official business of the sheriff's office. You have more ammo? You never know. Very nice. I've seen enough blood and death. I'm gonna shoot you right down. I know what's coming. How are you, Sheriff? 
old. Okay, uh, Ji Woon Kim is the director of this film, The Last Stand. Um, in my episode of uh, Subtitled Scares, I reviewed a film called A Tale of Two Sisters, which is a frankly terrifying and bizarre ghost story. He also directed this strange psycho-killer police procedural revenge picture called I Saw the Devil, which is like a slightly darker version of Seven. (laughs) 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 He is like a gloves-off crazy filmmaker. He did another sort of weird bonkers movie called, uh, uh, it's like How the West Was Weird, or the, I can't remember. It's like a a strange neo-Western that had a cameo from Quentin Tarantino. I think The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, or something like that. He's an interesting filmmaker, and this sort of marked his debut in this side of the ocean in the United States. And the other big exciting thing was that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has come out of retirement, and this is his first movie that he made after spending his time as governor of Los Angeles. And uh, according to a lot of people, doing a lot of political damage. <laughs> but <laughs> he's at an anti-gun stand, as I as I recall. Um, and 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 this uh, they he's throwing that out the window to come back because Arnold without swinging a machine gun and a shotgun around is just not Arnold. His first project was not Kindergarten Cop two. His first project was The Last Stand. Um, so basically, seeing the anticipating this director handling an action movie and seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger kick some ass again maybe gave me a little bit more hope for this movie than I maybe needed coming into it. Well, here's what I'll say about The Last Stand. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's playing this getting close to retirement age sheriff who's retired to a small, quiet community after spending his life kicking ass and killing drug lords, (laughs) uh, (laughs) finds his small, peaceful community uh, in the path of this escaped cartel leader, drug cartel leader who is... uh, not only ridiculously like conceived as a character, but uh, is proudly, you know, escaping police custody uh, through all of his rich connections and going to drive across the United States and across <laughs> the Mexico burst, uh, across the Mexican border without being caught by the police as some sort of smug, arrogant exercise. <laughs> really, he seems bemused by everything that's going on, and he's this lethal mm. murderer. So basically, it's Arnold and his bumbling sidekicks versus this evil cartel lord and all of his lackeys. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be a shootout in this largely abandoned small town. I think that if I'd seen this movie in, let's say, 1989 or 1988, it would click in nicely with this sort of collection of Arnold Schwarzenegger Mm -hmm. movies. In 2013, with a director this skilled and the anticipation of the return of Arnold, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed, but I can't help but also feel that my disappointment may largely be my own fault. (laughs) So, uh, I like this movie, but I wanted to like it more, I guess is where I'm landing, but I will willingly take a second opinion. Uh, Yeah, it's... It is fairly, uh, fairly weak, I guess. I suppose. Um, I guess you have the, you know, Arnold's. You have to play Arnold as an old man now because he is, and it's uh, 
seeing him like that is is kind of jarring in a way because he still has to like kick butt and murder people but he's you know 65 seven, i don't know how old he is <laughs> he's old. all of his jokes are some variation of i'm too old for this shit <laughs> right? yeah, exactly and, and that's fine i mean it's a something that we've seen before in films and it's something that we'll see again and he's gone on to kick ass in movies after this and he's made another terminator movie and apparently he's making another conan movie schwarzenegger mm. is back but should he be like I yeah. said, in, in Schwarzenegger's Prime, I think I would have really liked this movie. And this one, there's there's something vaguely sad about it. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that's what I was connecting to. Like, he got Tired old. Adult. He got old. <laughs> and his movie, which this is very much a Schwarzenegger-type movie, kind of mm. got old with him. <laughs> yeah. He's, and also, it just he just doesn't have enough one-liners, you know. He just needs to be, like, just if you've got... Because this is sort of a throwback yeah. movie, deliberately, you know, like... Self-consciously uh, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah an, ode, an ode to the crazy action movie, American action movies of the yeah. past. But it just didn't, it didn't take it over the top enough, you know, not enough quips, not enough kicking people off things. I guess he did uh, shoot a guy in midair as he fell off a building at one point but that was probably one of the most ludicrous moments in this ludicrous movie because he did not need to do that he could have just shot the guy but instead (laughs) he dove into him and both of them went off the roof and he shot him as they fell through (laughs) midair like (laughs) that was the high point for me it should be more of that beautifully executed like it was shot and covered well i could follow the action and uh, it did put a smile on my face but it was preposterous you know (laughs) and uh that's a word i keep using this episode preposterous (laughs) (laughs) um it's interesting they kind of surround him with these like goofy side characters Mm. Uh, forrest whitaker is uh this driven but painfully incompetent (laughs) (laughs) Uh, police uh, member who's trying to catch this cartel leader. Yep. And uh, to Schwarzenegger's left and right, we have Johnny Knoxville of Jackass fame sort of <laughs> playing this weird guy living in the middle of nowhere collecting an arsenal of... Mm. <laughs> I wonder War- if that will come in handy. Yeah, <laughs> World War II era weaponry. <laughs> and uh, Louis Guzman, who is a very charming actor. And in any other movie, like I said, if this movie was made in, in you know... 83 instead of 2013 Louis Guzman would be a dead man in fact I I was so surprised and thrilled to see him live through the movie yeah as he walks through a hail of bullets firing his tommy gun exactly (laughs) but I think that was a not like kind of a silent little punchline in the movie that uh yeah Louis Guzman is the wisecracking Mexican sidekick and he lives (laughs) No they one did. saw that one coming, did they? Yeah, they, they it, when they're at the end, they're in the ambulance or something, like making witticisms about the size of their bullet holes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there is charmingness to the little, you know, the, the the small town that he lives in. The characters, you know, I, I kind of like them, and the action sequences are efficiently handled. It's not loudly awful. It's just kind of okay. And like yeah, I say, for the pedigree going into it, I kind of expected it to be a little bit more than okay. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a, a flat line, uh, <laughs> you know, with here and there, little peaks, but it, uh, it could have been more. 
could be more. Just ramp it up a little more, do and you, it would have been very entertaining Arnold movie. Do you think that it's that Arnold has just passed his best before date, or do you think it was a movie mm. problem? No, I, I think it's just... I just think they didn't take it far enough, honestly. I think Arnold is fine. I actually... This is... It got panned. The new Terminator movie. Yeah. And... Because it, it is... It is kind of... Have you seen it, by I the way? I have not seen it yet. I have not. Okay. Uh, wa- watch it. You should watch it. It's worth watching. It's it's way over the top. I would be surprised a- if it was worse than Salvation. Yeah. Oh, no. It's better. I think it's better, personally. It's It's so stupid in a way that makes it fun, in okay. a way that I think The Last Stand could have been. You know, I mean, it's not a good Terminator movie. If you're looking for a sequel to Terminator 2, <laughs> it's terrible. But as as just like a standalone action movie, it, it's, it, it works to me as an over-the-top action movie in a way that Last Stand just didn't because it's just too straight. You know, just the it's not set anywhere ludicrous. It's just in a small town and... Yeah, it should have. It could have just just ramp it up a little more, and I think it would have would have come across better. There's a character named Beryl, played by Peter Stramari. Hmm. He's the most famously known from Fargo, um, and he's sort of pushing this kind of cartoon over the top vibe. Yeah. That I think maybe if everybody had rise to match. Yeah, it I agree. Would give this this less real, more manic kind of cartoon edge. And I agree. I, I think that the movie was playing, trying to play straight uh, a concept in a story that was kind of ludicrous. Yeah, it's not. It's not something that it doesn't work as a straight film because it is so silly, like a drug dealer driving the fastest car ever made yeah. across America, <laughs> and just like just like slaughtering like a police roadblock. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got a police roadblock. All right, I'll just call up forty guys with the best automatic weapons you've ever seen just yeah. to slaughter them out of the way. But then you get to a, an old man and his, and his rural sheriffs yeah. and, and they can deal with it. No problem. Yeah. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is largely wasted in the movie. Mm. He's a guy... Bumbling around 20, 20 minutes behind everyone else. Yeah. He's, he, <laughs> his role is to lose the prisoner and then yell at everybody around him and not believe Arnold Schwarzenegger's character when he should and then congratulate Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just like <laughs> Whitaker just won an Oscar. He's coming off of he's the last king of Scotland. He's a very capable performer. And I get, you know, he keeps on showing up in these action movies like this and Taken 2 and he just has nothing to do. He's such a powerful actor. Give the man something to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh... Oh, though he, at the start there was a fun, fun chase. His breakout, I think, reaches a, a level of ludicrousness, which I think they, I've been using. That's my word of the day: ludicrous. ludicrous. Yeah, ludicrous. That that the movie should have kept when a gigantic magnet picks up <laughs> the van. Yeah, and carries him <laughs> away from yeah. this lineup of, of of vehicles. Yeah, no, and. His plan was so Machiavellian, like he he always <laughs> knew exactly where he was going to be, where the police blockade was going to be, who he needed to pay off, who he needed to be in the exact right place in the exact right time, that it became silly. And the movie, if it didn't have to acknowledge that it was silly, but it needed to embrace that it was silly. And it, it, it doesn't. 
I mean, I kind of feel like I'm being hard on it. It's fine. And like I said, if you're a person who can watch Raw Deal and Commando, and, <laughs> like, if you can get behind those movies, you can sure as fuck get behind The Last Stand. It's fine. But, like I said, it should have been awesome. <laughs> should have been awesome. Yeah, exactly. Just a bit disappointing. Chris, we just talked our way through six action bloodlust movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope the experience has lived up to your expectations. I, I had a lot of fun uh, talking about them, actually. Probably more fun than I did watching them. <laughs> but now I'm like thinking of how much fun I had <laughs> watching those movies, having, having laughed our way through this. I think it would be interesting if you did a kill count, just to know how many people we watched die in these six movies. <laughs> My guess would be many. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think that it would, like I say, top the list of most of my ranking reviews as far as kill. Maybe, like like I said, the horrors of war and plague and apocalypse, the ones where like everybody in the world gets killed at the end of the movies. But... Discounting the six billion you see off screen. Correct. <laughs> But here we are, and as my guest and my first big international podcast guest from Perth, <laughs> Australia, I would love to hear what was your least favorite of these movies and why. All right. Well, I've got to say that I didn't dislike any of these movies, and most of them fall in the gr- in middle ground of being basically... Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so ranking them is kind of, kind of hard. Um, all right, but I'll start off with my my bottom, which is uh, Last Stand, and uh, that's simply just because I feel it didn't reach the height of silliness that an action bloodlust movie should. You know, it just <laughs> didn't take it to the limit and uh, make me laugh as much as as a, a very silly throwback movie should have. Although I do love, I'm a huge fan of Arnold. I love seeing him. At anything, I just love hearing him talk. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's he's the most quotable man in the world, but he's still charming even as an old geezer. You know, but it, not just that same happy, sad nostalgia that was triggered by the new Star Wars movie in a lot mm. of ways. It just sort of like reminds me of when I was young, and uh, I I loved Commando just because I thought it was awesome. I didn't have to justify my appreciation of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I miss those days, and they are gone, <laughs> they are gone forever. Sadly. You just have to live uh, vicariously through your children now. Correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, uh, I'm going to put Lethal Weapon 4. Uh, again, it had its moments. It's just, you know, the the swan song elements of it and the the length, the sort of redundancy with the comic relief characters and and uh, the tone of it just uh, makes it a little weak. But uh, it's still a watchable film, entertaining, and, you know, and I, I do like Mel. Yeah. 
He is dreamy. Dreamy Mel. <laughs> I mean, The Road Warrior is like one of my top films. Oh, I so love, I love never hate The Mel. Road Warrior. Yeah. <laughs> There's a movie I watched an awful lot when I was way too young to be watching a movie. <laughs> watching, watching men with their butt cheeks hanging out, bludgeoning each other to death. <laughs> Good times. Good times. All right, next I'm going to put uh, Kiss of the Dragon. Okay. Uh, and and this is uh, this is a competent film and an acceptable action movie. Uh, it's just it's it's so cliched by the numbers, <laughs> and um, but it gets it gets points for being, you know, the the cast the performances are good. And and they're well directed and it's entertaining, uh, and and <laughs> you gotta love the hall with the heart of gold, <laughs> you know the most predictable plot line in the world. But it's she's still charming. She and, delivered uh, it, and that could not have been an easy thing. Like I, I I sort of was jokey about it, but I sincerely thought that Bridget Fonda brought in a, a pretty strong performance in a movie she didn't really need to. <laughs> yeah, she pulled off a character which is. You know, a better performance than that character, as written, deserves. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's all right. All right. Uh, next, I'm having uh, Face Off, and uh, simply because it is third, just because it's so crazy. Fun. It's so crazy. It's a bad film that is so mad that it totally works. And Nicolas Cage, John Travolta, at their height of their fame and madness is just just works in a way that it it shouldn't for for a way for a film that is too long yeah i would have put this lower before i before i talked about it but talking about it and and laughing my butt (laughs) about this film (laughs) yeah i i gotta think that like uh Nicolas Cage and John Travolta at some point in the production probably sat down and had a beer or a coffee to discuss, you know, (laughs) this project and how they were going to, you know, effectively portray each other. And fuck (laughs) would I pay a lot of money to hear that conversation between, like, fucking batshit crazy Nick Cage (laughs) and, you know, (laughs) repressive all Scientologist Travolta. (laughs) Talking like, about how like they're going to gonna climb inside each other's head. <laughs> I'd like to just watch the hand gestures as they like uh, <laughs> are making each other's faces and, and try to be each other. <laughs> like that would be a, a better movie than Face Off, which is that conversation. So, what made it all the way to number two, man? Number two, I put The Raid. And the, I don't know, this film is so weak in the plot. And it. But there's something really honest about what they were trying to do. Yeah. And I think they nailed it. You know, they just wanted to do a cool kung fu nonstop action movie and, and they totally succeeded. And I think out of all the films, it's most aware of what it wanted. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the directors got what they wanted out of this movie. It is relentless and, action. It is a hundred minutes of relentless action. That's what it says it is, and that's what it delivers. Yeah, in in a, in a childish way, it is so fun just to watch, you know, a, an exploding fridge take out a room of bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I haven't and, seen that before. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that before. And it, it, like chopping their way through the floor to escape and yeah. everything. It just 
yeah, there's so much. There's so much you could just talk about after that movie. All your favorite little kills and thrills. I, in a way I, that... I remember feeling exhausted after that movie was over. It was like <laughs> I'd run a marathon just watching. Those guys are sl- must be so tired. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And that would lead uh, us to number one, which is uh, Dread. And I I love Dread. I'm a huge fan of it. I love dystopian sci-fi, and and I love just the whole aesthetic, the world building. I like the tight focus, and and yeah, and still lots of fun murdering action. Yeah, and uncompromising, uncompromising character dread just totally worked for me it's an interesting piece of you know non-satirical non-ironic bloodletting <laughs> like it, yeah. it just is what it is it's not it's not starship troopers you know which is <laughs> you know having fun or robocop nope. there's no satire it's just yep no nope, we're, we're gonna deliver bloodletting. the red and that's it <laughs> yeah and it, and it delivers and and the performances are great the characters are, are more rounded than you expect going in, and and yeah, it's just it's just fun. It's a good film, really good film. Well, that's a good list, Chris. I mean, we have quite different lists, but I'm not going to get in a big scrap over it because I can't get overly passionate about <laughs> these movies. Generally speaking, I would say they're fine. I've done much better lists, but. These are easy movies to watch. They're like there's no element that made it feel like homework to me while I was watching these movies. So uh, we didn't go zero for six. We didn't go six for six. But the reward is that we had a good time. <laughs> Hooray! So in I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> in sixth place, I wasn't expecting. In sixth place, I'm putting Lethal Weapon four. Uh, it just seemed like it, it's clearly the weakest of the lethal, lethal Weapon franchise. I think it's almost more of a bromantic comedy than it is an action movie, which is kind of a shame because when you have Jet Li as your villain, you've got potential to make a really cool action movie. But for all of its flaws and whatever, it has a superficial charm. It just, you know, watch it or don't. You know, like, the, it's hard to get excited about Lethal Weapon 4, but it's hard to get angry at it either, you know. A harmless action movie. Yeah. I, I Unlike think, all the people who were murdered. <laughs> this this fifth place one, I think, is the closest that we're going to come to kind of disagreeing. Because I did put Face Off all the way in fifth place. <laughs> and I think, like I said, if it was a 99-minute movie instead of a 139-minute movie, I would be right there with you. But there yeah. is a lot of fat on this pig. Like, seriously... <laughs> They, like, streamline this shit and, like, keep the crazy, keep the stupid. It can still be an utterly mad movie, but just, you know, there's a lot of superfluous stuff that could have hit the floor, and I argue maybe should have. If you're making a movie as ludicrous as Face Off, there's no reason it should be two and a half fucking hours long, you guys. So Very true. <laughs> hey, maybe make a fan edit out of this film, and uh, you might... Bump it up. There is something so fucking fantastically crazy about Face Off that, like I said, it kind of demands attention. <laughs> but uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let it have its cake and eat it too. In that regret. So uh, yeah. So ranking perhaps a little bit high according to Chris in in fourth place is where I put the last stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it's not fantastic. It's not horrible. 
It was nice to see Schwarzenegger back in action, and I still have a lot of faith that this director, you know, is capable of great things. Uh, seriously, I Saw the Devil and A Tale of Two Sisters are both worth checking out. <laughs> they are fucking crazy, crazy movies. So, there it is, The Last Stand. Again, it's a lot of these movies, you know? Watch it or don't. I think that <laughs> you look at the cover, you look at the poster, you know exactly what the movie is, and mm. it's not lying to you. Yeah, these movies could change position very easily depending on your mood when you watch them. Yeah. Or who you watch them with. Well, and for instance, this Kiss of the Dragon movie seems to be uh, ranking artificially high all the way at number three. <laughs> it's certainly not amazing, but uh, as far as the balance, the action is handled well, the plot is fairly clear and makes sense. I, I like Jet Li as a protagonist, and, uh, you know, like we talked about Bridget Fonda, kind of overperformed. A really cliche role and kind of made it seem, if not fresh, at least fully, fully inhabited. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, for for such a cliched movie, it still kind of works. So I think we pretty much disagreed on all of that in the list so far. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the top two we're going to agree on. Uh, in in second place, I will put the Raid Redemption, and I think that it would be number one if it just had. A slight piece of story to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just add, to, add five minutes of story, throw that in, guys. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, in the Raid 2 movie, they, you know, really do try to do a, a larger scale, much more complex story. And they do, you know, it's not in one building. They amp up the action to a much huger degree. I think that the Raid 2 is just really, really, really good stuff. And if only for the fact that it set the table for the sequel. <laughs> I'm a big fan of The Raid. Um, watch it and watch its sequel. But to my great surprise and pleasure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree with you that as strangely, profoundly ugly and violent as it is, and as absurd as it is to see Carl Urban scowl his way through <laughs> this entire movie, I had a really good time with Dread. It, you know, it, it, it filled the menu in a way that I just could not have anticipated. The only reservation is, is that if you're not a fan of action bloodlust, and if extreme violence is something that's going to, you know, <laughs> give you a stomach ache, <laughs> run, run away from dread. Because this movie is very red, and, and you know... <laughs> Lives are spent very cheaply in this movie. And, <laughs> Wounded men are executed lying on the floor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you know, w without the safety net of satire or comedy or anything like that, it, if, if, if you caught it on the wrong day, like I said, you could just find this movie abhorrent, I think. But I watched it on the right day, and I found it kind of delicious. <laughs> Not sure what that says about me, but... Uh, <laughs> Watch Dread. It's as gruesome as any four horror movies that you will watch. It is. Good fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris, for doing this. And uh, if you so choose, you are welcome to do this again. Uh, uh, you, we, we always, always on the lookout for a new rank and review champion. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll have to pick some movies which are better and worse next time. <laughs> It was kind of a tricky list. There was a sort of sameness to it, but they're fun. Yeah. They're fun, and sometimes fun is enough. 
You know, yeah. not every movie needs to be Oscar bait. Not every movie needs to be profound. Not every movie even needs to move me. <laughs> they just need yeah. to sometimes be fun and entertaining. And I yeah, think on a very basic popcorn level, these six movies fit the bill. They're just not yeah. going to make you think at all. <laughs> exactly. You can watch these movies and have fun with them uh, quite easily. Anyway. And I would encourage Thank you, you very much uh, for having me, Larry. Thank you, man. And, uh, yeah, I would gladly be back. Until next we speak, brother. Indeed. Thank you. Like that, action bloodlust is put to bed. I don't know, I guess if you have to be taken out of a movie, maybe uh, an action movie is the way to go, as opposed to being slowly tortured by some evil <laughs> European monger of pain, uh, you can just take one in the head and call it a day. So that was action bloodlust, all the way from Perth, Australia. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And I hope you have some feedback for me, because if you do, you can send that to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Seek out the show on Facebook, seek it out on iTunes, and spread the word on the podcast, kids. My name is Larry Parsons. I'm your host and random Canadian. And as always, thank you so much for listening.